Mom, can I go to the movies with Jimmy tonight? Well, you have that test tomorrow, and you really should study. I can do it when I get back. You ought to call your father and check with him. Hey, Mom says I can go to the movies. Can I have $10 for the ticket? Yeah, there's some extra cash in my dresser drawer. Dad says I can go, but I need money for dinner, though. I think there's some money on top of the fridge, but make sure you come right home after the movie. Okay. Hey, Dad, it's kind of late. Can I just stay the night at Billy's? Well, I don't know. How about you call your mom and see what she says? Hey, Dad says it's okay for me to spend the night at Billy's. Can you bring me my backpack for school tomorrow? How are you going to go to school tomorrow after you've stayed up all night? Oh, good point. Mom says it's not a good idea for me to go to school tomorrow. So you can just hit me up tomorrow at Billy's. Okay. Thanks, Dad. You're the best. Some of that laughter sounded kind of nervous. Did y'all recognize that? Hey, we're talking today in this fifth weekend of our series, Things That We Don't Normally Talk About. Our title is Somehow Our Kids Have Taken Over the House. And I think that maybe some of us that will resonate with, you would say something like this. I thought when we brought the baby home from the hospital that we were the ones in charge, that we would be the ones making the rules, that we would be the ones with the gray book handing out the pass or fail grade. But somehow things have all changed. And now our kid is the CEO of the house and he or she's calling the shots. Could be that your marriage is not first in the relationship in the home. It's second, third, or fourth behind every kind of practice imaginable, every extracurricular activity imaginable. Or it just could be that you're living in a scenario in which you feel that you have to measure up or else somehow your kids are going to feel like or the neighbors are going to feel like or your friends are going to feel like that you're a failure as a parent. By the way, entertainment doesn't help a whole lot with this. For actually about the last 40 or 50 years, it seems like our kids have been trained by entertainment to treat cynically any kind of parental influence in their lives. Adults are presented as dummies. And is the interesting in entertainment, the home that all the kids want to be in is with the most permissive parents, with the cool parents who are about 13 years old mentally themselves. That's how entertainment presents it. You know, I, I thought about this. this is my fourth time to bring this talk, and, and each, week, each time as I sit up on stage and I give this talk, I'm thinking to myself, I believe a lot of you are going to walk out of here and feel like, hey, you know what? I'm doing a pretty good job of parenting. Those of you who are parents, maybe, maybe you will have already done your job of parenting. But I, I think that a lot of you are going to walk out of here and say, hey, you know what? I'm not doing so badly. The reason for that is, is a lot of things today that are called good parenting are really counterproductive, and a lot of things that are difficult. Let's just be honest. A lot of things are difficult. Setting boundaries, setting guidelines, establishing rules in a home. Those things are difficult. A lot of you are doing a good job and you're feeling like failures as a parent because they're difficult. Well, I want to do something that's probably more important to me than anything else that I do on stage. I want to take us back to what the Bible says. You guys know I hate religion. Religion is man's attempt or human's attempt to try to figure God out. The great thing about the Bible is that you you don't even have to go through that process. You can just find out what God has to say about something. And and when it comes to raising kids, by the way, that's the most difficult thing that I know about to do. When it comes to raising kids, what we need is we need God to just weigh in on this. What I'm going to do in this brief talk this morning is I'm going to show you what some troubled parenting looks like. See, a lot of you are doing it right, and you think you're doing it wrong. I want us to see from the Bible what real troubled parenting is. 
so that you will be able to identify it. And I want to take you to the Bible to show you what are some healthy things that those of us who are parents or will be parents, or maybe even we're not parents anymore, but we have an opportunity to have an influence on people who are parents. What are some healthy things that parents can do that will really help their kids be prepared for life and everything that's involved with it? Okay, let's start with some things that you don't want in your life or in your home as a parent. First of all, before I get to that, could I just say this? Can can we take the pressure off this morning? Because number one, there are no perfect parents. And even when there's great parenting, there are no guarantees. And add to that, all of you who have more than one kid, you understand very clearly that kids are not the same, even kids that grew up in the same home, right? I mean, can you remember back when you were in high school or when you were in college and there was a really particularly difficult exam coming up and you heard about it and you knew this professor was really tough or this teacher, and you talked to somebody who has that class at a different time slot before yours and you're able to get sort of the inside scoop on what the, what's going to be on the exam? You know, and he says, oh, these are the questions he's going to ask. And so you're like really sure that you're you know, driven down on those to get. And then you get to class and you find out the test has been changed, right? Well, that's what it's like to parent more than one kid. Because you get that first kid, it's challenging, and you think, well, I got it down now. And then you have your next kid, and you think, I don't know anything, you know? And you have a third kid, you're just not even sure there is such a thing as a rule at that point. So I just want to take the pressure off of us and say, it is not, it's not a job where you can employ a formula and get a particular result. After all, parenting is really peculiar. God has asked you to take charge of another human being, prepare that human being for life, let them go, and then understand that they're going to have a free will to make their own choices. Those four things come together and make parenting a really challenging thing. And yet, outside of my marriage and my relationship with Jesus, I can't think of anything that gives me more joy than being a dad and a grandfather. It is a funky, funky thing, and we're going to talk about it today. Let's start talking about some stuff that you don't want in your home if you're parenting. Now, again, one more, one more preparatory comment, and I'll, and I'll get, to, get to that. When I read the Bible, there's, there's one thing that has me talking to myself, and, and if, you, if you have an explanation for this, I would love to hear it, because I've, I've been thinking about this for all 33 years that I've been a pastor, and I could never figure this out. It's strange. Some of the best people in the Bible have some of the most screwed up kids. And, uh, and then by the same token, some of the most screwed up people have some of the best kids. I mean, explain to me, if you will, those of you who are real Bible scholars, because I can't figure this one out, explain to me how Saul raises a Jonathan and how David raises an Absalom. I can't get that. But what we're going to see is we're going to look at three of the greatest guys in the Bible, three of the greatest men who turned out to have some real problems as dads. And one of the cool things about the Bible is the Bible doesn't gloss over the mistakes of its heroes and heroines. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at these three guys and we're going to see three big issues that you and I don't want in our parenting and grandparenting. One more, one more strange little caveat to this. These three guys knew each other, or they were contemporaneous with each other, or maybe consecutive is the best way of saying it. The first guy's name is Eli. He was a great prophet. His predecessor's name was Samuel. That's the second guy. And then one of the kings that Samuel Samuel anointed was David. That means that David got to watch the job that Samuel did as a dad, and Samuel got to watch the job that Eli did as a dad. I throw that in so that a lot of times, you know, we think, wow, if I can see somebody else make a mistake, I'll avoid that mistake. What we're going to see, these are three guys, they get to watch each other, and they still have problems. 
What were the three mistakes they made that you and I don't want in our parenting? Well, let's just call the first one permissive indulgence. And we'll start with David. He's the third guy chronologically, but I want to pick up with David. Permissive indulgence just means in this home, the kid makes the rules and the parent just doesn't do anything that makes this kid feel like he or she can't do what he or she wants to do or they can't have what they think they want. That's the kind of parent David was. I want to read this verse to you in 1 Kings chapter 1. And this kid's name is Adonijah, okay? David's son, Adonijah. Adonijah put himself forward and said, look at these words, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. Look at verse 6. His father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? I don't know why the Bible throws this in. It says he's very handsome. Now, this is the same David who fought the giant. This is the same David who wrote the Psalms. But when it came to being a dad, he struggled with this. Now, when I read the Bible, and I especially get ready to talk to you, I ask questions of the Bible. I want to know why does God put a particular line in there? I want to know why does God put this line in there about David never asking his son, why do you behave as you do? Wouldn't you draw from that that Adonijah gave David reason to ask that question? In other words, there probably were legitimate reasons. David watched Adonijah's behavior, watched his attitudes. And as a reasonable dad, for the Bible to put this in there, it it indicates that as a reasonable dad, David should have said to Adonijah, hey, wait a minute, son. Why Why are you acting that way? But he didn't do that. In fact, the Bible says he never interfered with him. The Hebrew word literally means to make to worry. David never made him worry about anything. David was always very careful to make sure that his boys never had to worry about anything in life. I assure you, my dad was old school. He wasn't concerned about me worrying. He wanted me worrying about doing stuff he didn't want me to do. He wanted me to be afraid, to be very afraid. But not David. He just didn't want his boys to be worried. Some... uh, parents have that same idea today. They don't want their kids to ever worry about anything. It's okay. Whatever they want to do, whatever they want, we have to find some way to get it for them. They want to be in this, we have to get them in this. Whatever they want, we have to make sure that we don't do anything that infringes upon our kids' tender psyches. Do you know what will happen if you and I take that approach? It's real simple. I have it in red in my notes in verse 5. Your kid's going to say at some point, I will be king. (laughs) Yeah. Mom and dad treat me as the little king of the house. I must be king. I must be the queen. It's a foregone conclusion. You know what really has you pulling your hair out, which I can't afford, but what really has you pulling your hair out is this is the third time David has done this. You know where the first two crown princes are? They're dead. You know why they're dead? Because David didn't want to worry them. His oldest boy, who would have been the crown prince, Adonijah, all right, you know what he did? Excuse me, not Adonijah, it's Amnon. What Amnon, Amnon lusted after his half-sister and he raped her. You just see what you want, you take it because dad had brought him up that way. Dad had said, you can have whatever you want. Amnon saw his half-sister, had lust. Then his next boy, Absalom, was the full brother of the sister who got raped. And he decided he was just going to take advantage of the situation. He killed the, the, his older brother. 
And later on, you know what he said? I will be king. And he revolted against his dad, took part of the army. If you were part of the Blues series, you heard me give a talk on Absalom. Both those guys are now dead. You would think that David would get a clue. And he would say to Adonijah, hey, boy, why are you behaving like you're behaving? But he didn't. And Adonijah said, I will be king. And by the way, I hate to say this, he wound up dead too later on. David could have gone to school on the man who lived two notches back in our story, whose name was Eli. Eli was the prophet. And ordinarily, the prophet's sons would succeed him in the priesthood, rather. And here's what the Bible says about Eli and his sons. Look at this. This is really, really important to all of us who are parents. In 1 Samuel 3, verse 12, at that time, God says, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family, for I told him I would judge his family forever. Look at this. Because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, the Bible says, and he failed to restrain them. Now, for all of you young parents, I have some news for you. In time, your kids will do some things you don't know about. You say, Mark, I'll watch them every moment of the day. (laughs) Just a fact. Your kids are going to do some things you don't know about. I mean, after all, how many of you of any age here today have told your parents everything you've ever done now? Some of you are 45 years old. You're thinking, my parents would freak if they knew some of the things that I did, right? Can I get a witness on that? Unscrew the halos this morning, all right? <laughs> and, 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 and that's just part of parenting. I mean, every once in a while, I have somebody come into my office. They want to brag to me about how much stuff they got by with with their parents. I mean, I were a guy middle-aged came in, and he was telling me, man, I was doing all these awful things. My mom and dad didn't know about it. I was drugs, drinking, sleeping around. In my, and he's la- almost laughing like I should give him a medal somehow because he had done all this stuff, and his parents didn't know about it. I said, all you convinced me of is that you're a pathological liar. I mean, yeah. I find it interesting that God drew a line there. He didn't say to Eli, I'm holding you accountable for stuff you don't know about. He said, I'm holding you accountable for stuff you knew about. He didn't stop. See, something goes wrong with parents when they can watch their kids do something really, really wrong, have a really, really bad attitude, fly off in the parent's face. I mean, I can't believe what I watch sometimes. I'm in, the, you know, in a mall or something, and I'll look at a 13-year-old girl or 10-year-old girl who will look at her mother's face with the most awful contorted expression and say, I hate you. I would have gone to see Jesus if I had said that to my mother. Right there. I'm not necessarily advocating that. I'm just saying. I know somebody says, well, Mark, I'm just afraid. I don't want my kids to cry. I just don't ever want them to cry. I'm afraid it would just warp them. Oh, Mark, I'm sorry, I've got to buy it for him. I got to, you know, and it's the game's rated M, and I don't really didn't tell, tell my kids that he couldn't have a game that age, you know, uh, the, 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 that rating at, the, at his age. But he says if everybody, all the other guys in the class have it. And I don't want him to grow up feeling like he's been disadvantaged. Or, Mark, I just can't bear it when she says, I hate you. You shouldn't bear it. I, I know I'm going to old school this morning. I get it. And I know, maybe I'm an old guy. But guys, I'm just telling you, a lot of you out there, you're trying to set boundaries. You're trying to, you're trying to be wise, and you're getting, you're getting ripped by the, by the culture. You're getting all kinds of backlash. A lot of you guys are doing it right. It's just hard to do it right. I want you to know you're doing a good job. Just keep doing what you're doing. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, discipline your children while there's hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. 
You know what chills me about that verse, parents? It says, do it while there's hope. In other words, it's, it's possible to wait too late. Well, a lot of people, and, and by the way, when the Bible talks about discipline, you're going to hear me talk about this later when we start getting to the positive side. Discipline is not angry. It's not unkind. It's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not ugly. Discipline is firm. It is kind. It is loving, but strong. It needs to start early. The Bible says, do it while there's hope. Somebody can say, well, Mark, I'm just afraid that if I set rules, if I set boundaries, that I'm going to ruin their life because my kid says that. My kid says, you're ruining my life. You think God's wrong about this? Because God says, discipline your children while there's hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Permissiveness. Anything you want to do. Guys, trust me. You want your kids to be happy. But if it takes buying them or if it takes letting them have their way at every turn, that's not real happiness. You don't want that in your home. Here's the second thing that you don't want. We've already seen Eli and David. Now we're going to talk about the guy who was in the middle. You know when God said, I'm going to deal with Eli's family, you know who he was talking to? He was talking to Samuel. He's who we're going to talk about now. When God talked to Samuel, Samuel wasn't married yet. He didn't have kids yet. If I'd been Samuel, I would have said, oh, by the way, God, you got any insights for me as a dad when I have kids? And yet, here's what the Bible says. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. How could that happen? Man, Samuel's a great guy. We have two books of the Bible named after him. How could he, how, how could he have flamed out so badly as a parent? Guys, as you study the Bible, watch for something. Because a lot of times God will leave clues in the context to let us know why something happened. That's in chapter 8. If you back right up into chapter 7, I think you'll see why Samuel had problems as a dad. Read with me. Verse 15 talks about Samuel. In verse 16 it says, Each year he traveled around setting up his court, first at Bethel, then at Gilgal, and then at Mizpah. He judged the people of Israel at each of these places. Then he would return to his home in Ramah, and he would hear cases there too. Get it? I mean, after all, Samuel was a busy man, and he wasn't selling drugs. He wasn't in organized crime. He was a preacher for crying out loud. He went to these places to communicate for God, and he was traveling all the time doing good things. And by the way, moms and dads and Mark, did you notice the part of the verse that God says, when he was home, he wasn't really home? Absentee parenting. You guys, I don't want that. I know how things are today. Man, most of you won't be too, too young. You'll be too young to know this, but there was a time when you were through with your day of work. You were through with your day of work. You went home. You didn't have a cell phone. You didn't have, you know, all the electronic equipment. You didn't have all that stuff where it's like fly paper where you can never get away. I know, I know what it's like. No matter where I travel in the world, the phone rings. I make decisions. And, and, and it's, you work all day. It's tough out there. It's very competitive. You come home. And yet, that's what happened to Samuel. And he was doing good stuff, like I say. I mean, let's not rip him. He was a good man doing good things. But in the process of time, he had time for everything else, but not for his boys. Here's the third thing that you and I don't want in parenting. It's in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It says, fathers, and it's a generic term for parents, just be parents, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Okay, first of all, you don't want permissive 
parenting. Secondly, you don't want absentee parenting. Here's the third thing. You don't want frustrating parenting. This is more than you want to know, but this is rather probably a shocking verse when it was written. Because Rome ruled the world, and it was a very brutal world. The father had absolute total control. Did you know that if a man's wife had a baby, they would place the baby in front of the father? If he decided he wanted it, he would keep it. It was a human being. If he decided he didn't want it, it wasn't really a human being. It could be left out on the steps to die. It could be sold as a slave. It wasn't even a human being until the father said he wanted it. And yet, in that context, the Holy Spirit had Paul write down, Dads, don't exasperate your kids. Don't frustrate them. Well, I want to go through this real quickly, but through the years, I've listened to a lot of kids, both in the age of kids and also grown-ups who've talked about their experience as a kid, and I want to share with you what I think are about seven things that I've listened to that really frustrate kids, okay? Here's the first one, unclear rules, just rules that are never really clear. A kid doesn't really know what he's supposed to do or what she's supposed to do. Hey, this is football season, right? NFL season. So are you going to watch the Chiefs today? Chiefs are 3-0. They're the only team 3-0. We may be in the tribulation. I don't know what's going on out there. Let me ask you a question. Would you watch an NFL game with no sidelines, no hash marks, no, no yard lines, no end zones? I mean, after all, you wouldn't know. You guys are out there. You don't know if they made a first down. You don't know if they made a touchdown. You don't know if they, you know, you don't know if they lost yardage, scored, whatever, because no yard markers, no lines, no boundaries. Who would watch a game like that? You know what? There are kids trying to play that game because the parents don't have any end zones. They don't, the kid doesn't know what a win is. There are no sideline markers. The kid doesn't know when he's out of bounds. Kid doesn't know when he's made a first down, doesn't know when he scored, doesn't know anything because the rules are never clear. Mom and dad make them up as they go every day. That's frustrating. And then there, there's uneven enforcement. You know, it, it just sort of depends on the mood of the mom or the mood of the dad. One day something can be funny and mom and dad are laughing about it. The next day it's a mortal sin and the kid is going to capital punishment and he's trying to figure out, wait a minute, this was funny yesterday. Why is it a problem today? Uneven enforcement. Or a double standard. It's okay for one kid, but not okay for a different kid. It's okay for my kid, but not okay for my stepkid. It's okay for mom and dad, but it's not okay for the kid. And I understand there are certain things that are age sensitive, but I'm just saying, you know, if, it, if we're talking about something that you tell your kid, hey, don't do this because it's bad for you, and you're doing it, you know, you're doing the oldest thing in the world, don't do what I do, do what I say. I'll tell you what, that's frustrating. And by the way, wasn't it frustrating when you were a kid? It's frustrating for your kids. And then out of control screaming and yelling. You know, the greatest discipline, and and I don't know a whole lot about parenting, guys, but what I do know about parenting is this. The greatest discipline is discipline that is calm, that is firm, that's under control. And by the way, if you want to know the attitude to discipline your kids in, it's not anger, it's sadness, because it's always sad when somebody does wrong. I remember when my, especially my older two boys were growing up, Jonathan and Jared, you guys know my personality. I'm very intense. I've been honest with you about that. And I don't suffer foolishness gladly. And I, because I'm so intense, I, I kind of set something up with my boys. If they did something wrong and I was trying to figure out what to do, I would send them to their room for 20 minutes. 
And uh, Jonathan's over here. He, he can remember. I, he, he used to be the world's worst about it. I'd send him to his room, and he would call out. From, I'd hear him calling out from the back room, Dad, would you just please come now? <laughs> Waiting is far worse than whatever you do. Please, just deal with it now. Well, let me t- that wasn't for him. That was for me. I wanted to go through several things in my head. I wanted to calm down. I wanted to cool down. I wanted to get myself where I needed to be. I wanted to ask myself, did he know the rules? Did I make it very clear? Was it just youthful exuberance or was it rebellion? Was it an accident or was it deliberate? I wanted to go through that series of questions so that I could calibrate how I was going to respond to him. See, when moms and dads lose it and they yell and scream, you say, Mark, I'm yelling and screaming because I'm teaching my daughter to get her homework in. You're teaching her to yell and scream. That's what you're teaching. You say, Mark, I'm yelling and screaming at my boy because I'm just teaching him that in the real world. No, you're you're teaching him to yell and scream. Here's the thing. How can parents teach kids to be in control if parents are not in control? And, you know, in a, in a lot of yelling and screaming, all it does is just frustrate kids. Uh, good cop, bad cop. <laughs> Mom's the bad cop. Dad's the good cop. Mom is the one with all the discipline. Dad is the cool guy who comes in and plays games. Or it could be flip-flop. Hey, the most powerful word in discipline is we or us or our. You know, whatever your rules are in your home, get together. For those of you who are single parents, you're my heroes, and you've got, the, you've got really heavy load. But for those of you who are couples, here's the most powerful thing you can do. Get together and decide what our rules are. Not mom's rule, not dad's rule. What are our rules? What are house rules? Negotiate those out. Get in front of them. Know what's right and what's wrong in the house. Know what's something that's a punishable offense and what's not. Okay? Can never please. That frustrates kids. Jonathan Mark was talking with me on my way in last night, the first time I delivered the message, and he was telling me that in behavioral psych, there's a, a, an expression called learned hopelessness or learned helplessness. What they will do with test animals is they will give the a test animal a reward for positive behavior, and they'll give the animal a punishment for negative behavior. But in some of the um, research that they were doing, what they did with test animals, they gave them punishment no matter what they did. And after a while, the animal would just give up. And any animal watching that animal would just give up, and they would have learned helplessness or learned hopelessness. We're not talking about laboratory rats right now. We're talking about kids. But when Jonathan told me that, it just instantly resonated. How many times have I talked to kids who grew up in homes where no matter what they did, it was wrong? And what did they learn? They learned helplessness and hopelessness, and their brothers and sisters who saw it learned the same thing. home in turmoil. That's just my list. You may have others, but just listening to kids through the years, I've heard from kids that frustrates. And we don't want those things. We don't want, you know, permissive parenting. We don't want absentee parenting. We don't want the kind of parenting that frustrates. So real, real quickly, what is it that we do want in our homes? What is it that we do want as parents? Now, I can't tell you everything that you need to know. And by the way, some fantastic books. I read a book real quickly, Getting Ready for This by Dobson. Uh, called Parenting is Not for Cowards. I love that title. That's a great book because especially for those of you who have some kids that are, you know, easy to deal with and difficult to deal with in the same family, that's a great book. And you might read that. But I want to give you some generic things that are really, really powerful that will help every parent, every grandparent, every future parent in the room. Don't groan when I give you this first one because a lot of you are in church and you're thinking, well, I would expect a minister to say this. This is something a lot of parents don't do. Number one, 
pray. Ask God for help. Now, if there's anything in the world that will get you praying, it's having a kid. <laughs> Let me tell you what will make you what the old timers used to call a prayer warrior having a teenager. I mean, you will pray, even if all your prayer is, dear God, why do we ever have kids? You will pray. <laughs> you know what I discovered? Most of us pray when things are in deep trouble. That's a good idea, but how many of us pray and ask God how to react to this kid? Let me tell you, I got three kids. I got three boys, and they're all awesome. They're all very different. I wasn't prepared to be a dad for any of them. One of the smartest prayers you will ever pray is when you are pregnant or when you're trying to conceive and you're saying, God, I don't know how to be a mom. I don't know how to be a dad. And beyond that, I don't know the special needs or the special challenges of this particular child. Let me give you a great prayer to pray. There was a guy in the Bible named Manoah, and he and his wife, they couldn't have a baby, and they tried and tried and tried to have a baby, and they couldn't. Finally, God allowed them to conceive, and, and the angel came to announce to Manoah that they're going to have a baby. Manoah said this, and I love it very much. I think every parent today can resonate with this prayer. Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, when we're pregnant, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? Oh, good. I wish I knew how to preach. What Manoah was trying to say is, God, you know this baby. You know this boy. My wife and I, we don't know him. He's going to be a stranger in our house. By the time he grows up, we're not going to know what we need to know. So God, show us what we need to know ahead of time. God, you know this baby. He's got work to do for you. He's got a life to live for you. God, what do we need to know about this baby? My mother-in-law is the greatest mother-in-law in the world. She's watching this message. I want to tell her hello and again how much I love her. She watches a lot of our sermons. She lives in Texas. And I can never tell mother-in-law jokes because I have the greatest mother-in-law in the world. But I can't tell you how many times she has told me. She said, I prayed for you when I was carrying Mary Alice. She said, when I had Mary Alice in my womb, I was praying, God, help her or help him to find the person you want. And she said, I didn't know your name, but I prayed for you. Hey, parenting is impossible. It's not difficult. It's impossible. Well, if something's impossible, who do you talk to? You talk to the one who makes things that are impossible possible. Pray. Number two, be. Now, why did I pick that verb? I want to read the rest of a verse I started a few minutes ago in Ephesians 6 verse 4. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training. That means actions. And the instruction, that means words of the Lord. Now, what I'm going to do right now is real, real complicated. A lot of you are not going to believe this, but in a previous life, I taught English. I was bivocational. And you say, Mark, I listen to you speak every week. I can't believe you ever taught English. I didn't say I was a good English teacher. I said I taught English, all right? But now when you think about that expression, bring them up in the grammar of it. Before I can bring up my children, by definition... I have to be up. For instance, this is going to be really complicated, so hang with me. This is really rocket science here. I can push my kid up, or I can do what a lot of parents try to do. I can send them up, (laughs) but I can't bring them up unless I am up. 
I can send them up if I'm down. I can push them up if I'm down. But I can't bring them up if I'm not up. Oh, guys, this is what's going wrong in so many homes today. Mom and dad aren't up, but they're trying to get the kids up. You know, I, I love this because, see, a lot of us, are, we, we, maybe even we were parented this way. Maybe we were even trained this way. We, we, we were taught that parenting is just screaming and yelling and coaching your kids to do the right thing. And yet God is saying, no, 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 that's not what it's like. It's like you help your kids get up. You bring them up, first of all, with actions. This powerful thing your kids and my kids will ever learn from us, parents, is what we do. You want your kid to learn respect? Then treat his mother with respect or his stepmother. You want your daughter to learn respect? Then you treat your husband, her father, her stepfather with respect. You want your kids to be giving? Then you be generous. If you want your kids to be self-sacrificial, then you have to be self-sacrificial because they're going to learn from us. They're going to pick up. So God says, here's the deal. You know, don't exasperate your kids, but bring them up with your actions. Show them. Hey, guys, I'll tell you something. You tell me how to do something. I'm not a good auditory learner. I'll lose most of it. You show me how to do something. I'll own it. And I think kids are that way. You bring them up with actions. And then here's the next thing. It says with words. And by the way, the Greek, line, Greek word there means to point things out. In other words, as you live your life, you're just pointing stuff out to your kids. And God says, be. So number one, pray. Number two, be. There's a third thing I'm not going to have time to give you. It'll be on my blog by in the morning. And then the last and the final thing is introduce your kids. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says this. These commandments that I give you today, these are God's commandments, are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. If you know God, the most important thing you'll ever do is introduce God to your kids. Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, Mark, I don't really want my kids to, I, I want them to make up their own minds. I don't, I don't want to share my faith with them. Well, I'm going to be really, really, maybe even painfully honest about that. If you don't have any real faith, I wouldn't try to communicate it. It'll come across as sacrity. If you don't really believe in God, if you don't have a relationship with God, then, then I get the point. But how, how can you truly know God and not want your kids to know him? How can you, how can you have a relationship with Jesus and not have your, your kids? Not? And the Bible is just saying, look, if you have a relationship with God, share that relationship with your kids. A lot of us here today, the first time we heard about God was from our mom or dad. And even today, the relationship that we have, the foundation was laid by them. And God is saying, do that. Pray, be, one more on my blog that I'll give you by tomorrow morning. And then finally, introduce them. Thanks for listening today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us be here. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will Help every one of us who are parents, grandparents, or soon-to-be parents, or just people strategically placed to be in the lives of those who are, who are parents. Help us to learn from you what works. And Father, for so many parents doing so many right things out there, would you just put your arm around them today and let them know that even though it's difficult, they're on the right path. 
and strengthen them. And Father, for so many people today who feel pressure from the culture that they're failing, Lord, I pray that they might just feel your love and feel your reassurance in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I didn't have time to talk about Jesus that much today, but you know, in every weekend service at New Spring, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity, if you haven't invited Jesus into your life, that you do that. You know, I was getting ready for the service this morning, and I reached into my jean pocket, and I pulled out a piece of paper. And I don't know if you guys are like me or gals, but if you reach in your pocket and you have a piece of paper, you're thinking, what is that? Okay? And I pulled it out, and it was a receipt from a restaurant here in town that is an expensive restaurant, Lisa this to Mary Allison. I mean, we only like go like two or three times a year on birthdays and anniversaries. But when I looked at the amount, it was like a pretty small amount, at least for that restaurant. I thought, man, how come I have a, an amount that small for that restaurant? And then I remembered it was a tip. And, and we were there, we had, a, we had a really nice meal, and we were getting ready to pay, and, and I had my card out, and the server came and said, someone is already taking care of your check. They wanted to remain anonymous, somebody took care of your check. That's always a delightfully strange feeling for me, because I'm thinking, but I ate the food, and I should pay. But I, I can't stay because it's already been paid, and I'm free to go. Do you know that's what Jesus did for you? You think about the sin that you and I have committed. What a bill we've racked up. An unpayable bill. And we're sitting there looking at our check for everything that we've done wrong. And wondering how we're going to get out. And the Holy Spirit comes by as the server. And he puts his arm around us and says, Someone who loves you very much has already paid your check. And you're free to go. I've never found a better gift than that. Imagine all your failures, all your sins, all your mistakes, all the things that you're ashamed of, already paid for. You don't have to go to hell and pay for it. Jesus took your hell for you on the cross. A gift has to be accepted, you know. God won't force his gift on you. But you could be here today and say, I never knew that. I thought you had to go to church. I thought you had to, like, be perfect No, no, no. Somebody who loved you very much has already paid your bill. That's why we have the cross out there. That's why some of you have it around your neck. It was on that cross that Jesus paid your bill. Would you accept him today? Somebody who loves you that much? I mean, here's what the Bible says. It's very simple. The Bible says in order to receive the gift, number one, you just have to believe he died for you, that he did pay your bill. And then he rose from the grave, and then he's in heaven listening for you. And then you just ask, ask him to forgive you and come into your life and receive him. Would you do that? I mean, that's what the word gospel means, good news. That's the good news. You say, I don't understand anything about it, but I want in on it, okay? Well, I'm going to pray a prayer. And these are slow. I'm going to pray it slowly. These are simple words. But if you mean it, it's not the words that matter. It's just a big yes to God. That's what's involved here. But I'm going to pray this prayer with you. And if you want to pray it with me, you do that, okay? Because God's listening to your prayer. You ready to pray? Here we go. Let's pray. Dear God, I know I've done wrong. But I believe Jesus paid for my sin. And I believe he arose from the grave. Today I receive your gift. 
I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.